You're listening to Manx Radio, and I'm Judith Lay, welcoming you to the podcast of the Manx Sky at Night with Howard Parkin. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. And that familiar music tells us that once again it is time for this month's edition of the Manx Sky at Night and we welcome into the studio Howard Parkin. Faster my Howard. Faster my Judith, great to be here again. Well, good to welcome you back in again and... Um, a sheaf of papers that you probably won't need to refer to. Loads of stuff to tell us. Always. And, and I hope, as usual, Howard, we'll be looking at our Manx skies for the weeks ahead and then what is happening in the world of space where there just never seems to be enough time to talk about no, all the topics. There There's so much going on, it's just incredible. So let's start, as we always do, home skies. What's been happening that you've particularly enjoyed over the last weeks, Howard? Anything? Well, the last few weeks, of course, we have had a few reasonable nights. Um, I remember a few weeks ago, we had that terrible storm we had, Eunice. But that night, the Friday night, um, when this storm came and went, literally, I went outside about 10 o'clock and the sky was breathtakingly clear. It was one of those, there was a nearly full moon, it was just past full moon. But I remember thinking... One minute we're hearing about doom and gloom and terrible weather, and then the next breath, there's me outside looking at the wonderful stars. And what is great about this time of the year is we've got these wonderful winter stars, which I always go on about, but they're now setting in the west. You can see Orion, those who know the constellation Orion, when he starts to fall over, that's when he's falling over, it's time to go to bed, and it's time for the winter to come to an end. And of course, that's what we've got in March. But these lovely clear nights we've had, we have had some wonderful skies and hopefully we'll have some more during the course of March. But the great thing about March, of course, it begins with a new moon and the new moon is on the 2nd of March, which is only on Wednesday, next Wednesday. And of course, that's the time of the year to, or the time of the month to look for the dark skies, to look at the stars in all their glory without the moon interfering. So if you get the chance, if we get a clear night in the next week or so, just go outside, look south and you'll see to the... To west of south, southwest of course, you'll see three stars in a line, which is the belt of Orion, slowly falling over and, as I say, setting in the west. But rising on the other horizon in the east and the southeast sky, we've got the stars of spring. We've got the wonderful stars of the constellation of Leo the Lion, the one constellation or one of the few constellations that looks a little bit like what, what it's meant to represent. And we've also got lower than that, you've got the bright star in Spiker in Virgo. And above to the left of that, you've got the star Arcturus in the constellation Boertes, the Herdsman. Those are our three main stars of the spring. But as well as that, we've also got the fact that in March, on the 20th of March to be precise, at 33 minutes past three in the afternoon, Winter officially comes to an end. We have the spring equinox taking place on the 20th of March at 1533. The spring equinox always occurs on the 20th of March, apart from a few times when it's on the 19th or the 21st. And this year, it, as I say, occurs on the 20th of March. We've got to wait until 2101 for the next equinox to be on the 21st of March. But in 2044, which is only, what, 20... Two years off, uh, we will have the equinox on the 19th of March. So in 2044, 
winter will end one day earlier. I'll be 91 then, so um, I'll sit there hopefully and remember that fact and say, I remember telling Judy Flay all about that. I somehow think that maybe somebody else, two other people will be doing this programme when likely. we get to that. I think that likely. We might be listening. Hopefully we'll be listening, but I don't think we'll be taking part. I was talking about Storm Eunice the other day. The Thursday afternoon, everyone was predicting it was terrible weather. And I said it was a lovely night and Friday. I was out in my garden on the Thursday afternoon. It was cold, but it wasn't windy and it was clear, lovely blue skies. Yeah, but I think that's the, the blessings of this the location of this island. And oh, we yes. were protected. I mean, watching the news oh, that south night. South of England, the trees coming down and the waves yeah. and even Peel got good battering. But um, Certainly did. But, you know, I mean, mm. there were gusts of wind of 122 miles that's an right, hour. That's right, in the Needles and the South in the yeah. Isle of Wight. And and there was memorably the, the the steeple off a church That's right, coming down. Yes, that was... So we were very lucky. Oh, we were very lucky. It, I mean, it we wasn't were very fortunate. It wasn't something to dismiss. But no, uh, it, it wasn't that the storm was exaggerated. It was just that we were very very we, lucky. We were in a good location, weren't we? We were indeed. So back to the sky. Yeah. The other great thing about the sky is that this is the time of the year when you look to the northern horizon. We've been looking in the south about the winter stars and the stars of spring coming up, but now turn around and look due north. Look towards Ramsey or Point of Air, wherever you live, and look for the plough. And probably you won't find it. If you don't know anything about stars, you won't find it because it's almost practically overhead at the moment because in spring, which I know it's late winter, early spring, um, the plough has now turned round the pole star and it's almost sitting overhead. And this is what the amount of times... It amazes me how many times people will ask me, where's the plough gone? And I just literally point overhead to them. Not quite overhead. It's about 60 degrees high. But it's not in its traditional position, sitting on the northern horizon it rotates around the pole star and of course the pole star where um due north is and that gives us our latitude and all the rest for celestial navigation which is how the vikings got here of course which is a nice little manx link absolutely with this i'm always looking for manx links as you know and i keep finding different ones all the time and you find them i think i need to find a new manx link to do with the stars i have found one judith i'm cutting across what we're going to talk about later but i'm giving a talk at babbage's and um, Mountain View Innovation Centre in Jerby Road, and I'm giving this talk at Babbage's. Um, this is a restaurant there where the film studio used to be, and it's now the Mountain View Innovation Centre. And I'm giving them a talk. It was meant to be done a couple of weeks ago, but because of the weather again, Eunice comes in again, um, it was delayed to the 11th of March. And the link is that Babbage is named after Babbage's uh, Bistro Cafe, is named after Charles Babbage, who in 1820 founded the Royal Astronomical Society, of which I'm a member. And they've got a room in there called the Newton Room, which, of course, Isaac Newton famously had all this stuff about gravity and principia and all that. So it's not Manx link, but it'll do for me. So I'm claiming that one as well. That's pretty good. But also, of course, uh, it's his link to uh, innovation in computers. Of course it is. It was his computing that the main link to it. But yeah. I was I was up there having a meeting prior to me giving this talk on the 11th of March. And uh, they've got on the wall um, a whole list of like computers and scientists and botanists and all the rest. And the word astronomer. So I looked him up and blow me, he helped found the Royal Astronomical Society. But in those days, in that era, shall we say, of history, the people were, um, they were almost like polymaths. They were interested yes, they were. in so many things. They didn't just have one strand no. that they concentrated on. So um, looking at the stars and being an astronomer and seeing the potential of, of where that might lead us yeah. is quite logical in, it in is, terms really. of Babbage. You get lots it? of names, there's lots of famous names from that era um, who can't remember any of us at the moment, but the likes of Newton and Kepler and Galileo, I know I'm going back in history, but they're all, as you say, they're polymaths, the people who um, 
absorbed everything to do with the subject of science and every aspect of it, be it geology, botany or, or astronomy. Well, I mean, look at Leonardo da Vinci, people Absolutely. like that, if, looking back at all the, the work that he did, all the yeah. sketches that he did, and so see incredible. the way his mind was working. You could see he yeah. was exploring everything. That so everything, incredible brains, aren't they, out there? Yeah, it was like everything he learned drove him to learn something else. Yeah. So fascinating. Amazing. What I, what I particularly like about the Mountain View Innovation Centre is that the modern day businesses that are based there are all um, technology, uh, IT mm, based. Very much. But they are very, very keen to celebrate the roots of all of that. And, yeah. and, and credit sort of, to them for it. And stitch it into the building, as you yeah. might say, which I think is, is, is it's very a great, good. Great location. And the reason I'm going there, or we've arranged this talk, is we went there some months ago. Um, with a Manx Retirement Group, which I'm involved with. And um, someone said, I, I remember saying, what a wonderful place to do some stargazing. Next thing I was asked, would I consider doing a, mm. a talk? And of mm. course, hopefully, if it's a clear night, we'll get to do some stargazing as well, because it's a wonderful location. Because the, the buildings are on such a, a big area of land, I would have said there is no light pollution. No. You get in, get in the lee of the building, whichever horizon you want to look at, just have the building behind you to block out any extraneous light. And I'm really hoping it'll be a clear night. So note in your diaries, 11th of March, if anyone's interested. I was just going to say, as we've talked about this so much, let's just finish off with the punchline. 11th of March yep. and booking arrangements. Through um, either go onto the Babbage's um, Facebook page or get in touch with Selena, who's the lady who runs it there. Right. So we're saying it, Babbage's have got a Facebook page. Yep. So facebook.com forward slash Babbage's. Yes. Or... Presumably, there'll be a link on the Mountain View Innovation Centre. Yeah, there's a phone number there as well, which I just can't off the top of my head remember. That's quite all right. I do know for a fact that the website is mvic.im. The initial letters, Mountain View Innovation Centre.im. Have a look on there. And there's there's bound to be links through to, to booking Babbage's. And if it's cloudy, well, I'll be giving them a talk on stardust. We are made of stardust is the subject of my lecture. There's a romantic idea. <laughs> now, Venus and Mars in conjunction later this yeah, month. Yeah, um, we've actually got some exciting stuff going on in the sky with the planets at the moment. Um, we've had a, a feast of planets in the winter months. We had them all sitting in the evening sky around Christmas time. But now, with the exception of Jupiter, which is actually going around the back of the sun, is in what we call conjunction. And Jupiter goes through conjunction on the 5th of March. Then we'll emerge into the morning sky where it'll be visible probably the end of March, early April. That means all of the planets now are all together in the morning sky. It doesn't mean you're going to see them all, but Venus, of course, is very bright, quite unmistakable. You can't miss it. Um, I've seen it quite a few times in the last few weeks. Obviously, as the sun rises early and earlier, you need to be up early to see it. But Venus will join with Mars on the 12th of March. Venus unmistakably bright, Mars quite a lot fainter. And if you're looking... In a light sky, um, you'll struggle to find Mars. But if it's dark, I'm saying about half past five, six o'clock-ish time, I'm guessing, um, you'll find Venus very bright. And below to the right of it, another star, which has got a distinctive reddish colour. That's the planet Mars. But v Venus will then continue to rise in the sky until it gets to the 20th of March, when it'll be at its furthest distance from the sun at what we astronomers call greatest western um, elongation. And then... It's going to be joined in the sky on the 29th of March by Saturn. So we've actually got a conjunction of Venus-Saturn and just below it, you're going to have the Moon and Mars. So it's all happening in the morning sky. And as we go through the rest of 
or the, the first part of the year 2022, they're all going to be in a line on the middle of June onwards. I know it's right when TT Week's just finished, uh, but all of the planets are going to be in a line in order as they are from the Sun. You're going to have Mercury, Venus, the Moon, Mars, Jupiter and Saturn all in a line in the sky from the 15th of June right through to the end of June. So well worth looking out for and possibly a photographic opportunity. And a nice block of time, you know, 15 mm. days or so. Out of that, there's a good chance we'll get the well, right clear skies. It will be four o'clock in the morning job and the moon will slowly pass between them all. It'll do it in reverse order. It'll do Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, then um, the Earth. Well, it didn't go past the Earth, of course. It's come around the Earth. But it'll be great to see and I hope to get some good pictures and I'm sure there'll be pictures in magazines and Facebook and all over the place. I'm sure there will. We've got some, as we always say, very, very skilled photographers yeah. out there. To... But the thing I must say is that Venus will dominate the lot. Brightness-wise, will always be the brightest. Unmistakable. Look for Venus and lose, use that as your signpost to find the others. Jupiter will be pretty bright, um, but Venus will still dominate. Venus dominating. Now, how about that for a cue into our music break for tonight? That was wonderful. Venus. You are listening to this month's edition of the Manx Sky at Night here on Manx Radio. Joining me in the studio, it is our resident astronomer, it's Howard Parkin. Howard, from things in the Manx sky 
to things in space now uh, what again so much so Where much happening well Where i think i think we're going to start with the hubble space telescope aren't we yeah well the hubble space telescope is still going strong i'm delighted that hubble is going so well because they now hope to get the hubble working alongside the uh, james webb telescope more of that in a moment but there was a great program on bbc television only the other day about the hubble and you know the hubble space telescope it has revolutionised the public perception of the subject astronomy. The images that telescope has just given us are just incredible. One of my lectures I do, when I've, I finished my lecture with a display of images and I set it to music, ironically, the music we use for our theme tune, the last bit of the music, I play 25 images from Hubble to that and it leaves the audience spellbound because the images are so incredible. And with all this fuss about the James Webb Telescope, and rightly so, I thought it was nice to mention that the Hubble is still going strong. It keeps having problems, but they still fix it. It's 200 miles up in the sky, but they managed to fix it. The famous story about NASA a few years ago now, about 2019 I think it was, they had a problem and um, somebody came up with the idea to fix it, switch it off and switch it back on again, which they did and it fixed it. But instead of admitting that, instead of admitting that that was the problem, we just had to reboot it, which is what we say, uh, they got all, well, it wasn't as simple as that. It certainly wasn't as easy as just switching it on and switching it off. It was far more complicated than that. No, it wasn't. You just rebooted it and it worked. And it is still working brilliantly. And as I say, it is an amazing piece of equipment. But I'm going to have to change my lecture on Hubble Space Telescope because now the James Webb Telescope has sent back its first image. Now, not many people other than us astronomers uh, will know about this, but I want you all to imagine now this wonderful picture. Imagine a black picture, totally black picture, and on that picture are 18 dots. 18 white dots. That was the first image back from the James Webb Telescope. This image, this black image with the 18 dots on, is so profound because the, the, the Webb Telescope is made up of 18 hexagonal mirror segments and they're all individually mounted. They've all got their own motors. They've all got their own equipment to bring them to focus. And what they wanted to do, the first image they did, they found a relatively bright star, ironically close to the plough. It's a star just to the right of the plough there. And they've imaged this star. And each one of the 18 segments has now found that star and has brought it to a focus and all 18 are on one image. So they've got all the images into one place. Now what they're going to do over the course of the next two or three months is bring each individual mirror perfectly aligned with all the others. So those 18 images will become one. But it means that all 18 mirror, 18 mirror segments are working. It means that the ability to collect the images is working. It means everything's fine. And once they've got one single image in the middle of this, um, we'll have one big white dot, or one small white dot, I should say, in a black background. That'll be the next great image we get, we get from it. And then after that, they'll start looking at the clusters and the nebulas and gazing out to 13.7 billion light years um, back at the origins of the universe and all that sort of stuff. And it's really ramping up the excitement. And NASA have actually said that they have got some really great images they're going to use to show us it first. And that's going to be about the end of June, beginning of July. So really exciting stuff. But Yes, it's great from astronomy, but the engineers who built this telescope, the way they launched it, the way they got it to position, the way they put the sun shield on it, it's just mind-blowing. And as I say, it's going to cause me a lot of work because I'm going to have to change my lecture totally. Although I'm actually thinking I might do a special lecture just on the James Webb Telescope. You'll get a pair of lectures and you've got to watch both of them. Actually, I think that would be a, a really good thing to do, Howard, because one does inform the other. As you said exactly. just a while ago, you can't say, oh, well, the Hubble's old technology, you know, that's no, it's not. It's, it's, uh... it, it gave them the basis yeah. for the, the web 
telescope. But just listening to you now, you can catch the excitement of this because yeah. what this seemingly boring-looking image is doing is showing that it works. That's that. That's the point. And that all the delays and all the caution about yeah. and the testing and everything, the, the years and years and years yeah. of work that have gone into this are paying off. Yeah. And all that they've learned from it in, in making this. Just, oh, the technology to build it, the engineering, it's it's. it's I honestly felt, I think you probably detected that when we did our December show, when we were talking about it, it just been launched a few days earlier. And I was nervous. I was very apprehensive. And I think most of NASA were, everyone was frightened to death that what happened to the Hubble, which was a failure when it was launched, had a major problem, they fixed it. Great, they fixed it. But we were all frightened to death that this one would have a problem. But touch wood, it's been absolutely wonderful. And now it's settled into its orbit. Everything's working. It's working at the right temperature. It's just a question now of, making the optics work which we've proved it works anyway so um i can't wait to see these wonderful images and uh, i look forward to talking about it at length to people uh, wherever they'll listen <laughs> well we'll certainly listen here howard so right from from there perseverance one year on yes i mean this is another great story because it was only a year ago just literally just over a year ago that the perseverance rover landed on the planet mars and it landed again, the technology of that landing, the, the original landing of Curiosity back in 2012. We all thought that wouldn't work. It worked like clockwork. This time it worked like clockwork again. This time they even put cameras on it. We've actually got an image of the thing landing on Mars from the, the thing that carried it there, the, the what we call the sky crane. And it's been there a year. It's working brilliantly. It's deployed its little helicopter, the Ingenuity helicopter. And the Ingenuity helicopter, I think last month I was saying to people, we thought it had had flown its last mission it had flown 18 times the the 19th flight failed well guess what the 19th flight has just been a wonderful success a couple of weeks ago and we're now gearing up for the 20th flight of this little tiny helicopter which is sending about pictures of mars and again it's proving the technology of what we're capable of doing and it was meant to fly four times when it landed, it was meant to last three months and fly four times. They would have been happy with that. Tick the box. Right, we've proved it works. It's now on its 19th, and it'll no doubt by the time we, we speak next, it'll probably have done its 20th flight. So, again, incredible bit of engineering. And, you know, I'm very fortunate. I've been talking to a guy in America. I'm doing these lectures for the cruise ships, and I've been chatting to this guy uh, on email. And his job, he actually drives the Curiosity rover. If you look up the name of Ray Arvidsson on the NASA website, his job is to drive the rover around Mars. I'm thinking, this is just incredible to think that's what the guy does for a living. But we were talking earlier about tyres, Judith. We were talking earlier, before off-air, we were talking about tyres. And I've just had some new tyres fitted on my vehicle. And um, one of the problems on Mars is there's no uh, erosion whatsoever, other than a little bit of wind erosion, possibly. And the rocks on Mars are very sharp and very pointy. And these rovers have got these composite wheels made fundamentally of metal it's, it's, it's an alloy and you want they've showed us pictures of the wheels of the, of the curiosity and the perseverance rovers and they're not shredding because they're metal as i say but they've got holes in them they've got um, sharp edges in them the martian surface is terribly sharp someone likened it to going motocrossing on pool vash evidently they have a sand race down there and the rocks there's basalt rocks down in castletown are very very sharp and it plays havoc with your tires and i'm thinking we think we've got problems here. Try driving something around Mars. Incredible. But these are all the little things that you just don't think about. 
No. And just and you know, until somebody when somebody explains it as you do, you think, Oh yeah, I can I can understand yeah. that. If there is no erosion, we are used to seeing often the very beautiful results of mm. erosion. Oh, the, we the, see beautiful patterns and shapes. And shapes and everything and, else. And from coastal erosion we 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 don't like that because we don't see the like see the coastline washing away. But we know what it looks like. We we think of it in a much more gentle way, but th- the opposite of it. It's yeah. a very hostile environment. Very hostile environment. And I, it just when I saw this picture, I thought, wow. And of course, getting my tyres on my car, it just put the two together. And I'm thinking, you know, you wouldn't think of that. That rubber tyres just wouldn't work because even if it was solid rubber tyres, so they're always these metal composite stuff. And but look at just look online if anyone's interested. Just look at Curiosity wheels, Curiosity or Perseverance wheels, and you'll see these um, big holes. But it's got six wheels, so evidently you can drag. I think you can still drive with two, provided they're on opposite sides. Can drag the the other wheel around, and I think Curiosity's got one wheel that's packed up now, but it's still going. And credit to the engineers once again who've done it. Amazing, SpaceX. What's the score there? Well, I was all set for a huge announcement from Elon Musk a few weeks ago. He said he was going to make a first major announcement in 2019, and we all thought he was going to announce that he was going to send his Starship to Mars this year because there's a launch window to Mars opening in October. And he didn't. All he said was, we hope to do an orbital test flight of the Starship later this year. And uh, I thought, is that it? It's a bit of a damp squib. He did show us all a new animation of what it's going to be like getting to Mars with with Starship and uh, SpaceX, etc. But I I still think he's holding his cards close to his chest. The problem they've got at the moment is bureaucracy. Um, His base down in Texas are under FAA review, Federal Aviation Authority review, as regards their rules for flying their rockets. And they said they'd have the review ready by the end of February. It's now been delayed till the end of March. And they can't launch until such time as they get authority from the authorities to launch. And that, I think, is frustrating Elon Musk immensely. He wants to get on with it. He's a very much get-up-and-go guy. He's, he's not government. He's private industry. He launches his rockets. If they fail and blow up, he'll launch another one the next week or whatever. And then, then they're ready, more or less, to launch this new rocket into space for the first time. This is the one that about a year ago people might recall seeing these rockets landing and blowing up when they landed. Well, he perfected the landing technique now, so now he wants to send it into orbit and back again. And then his next test will be to send it to the moon and back, and then I think he'll send one to the Mars and back. Probably not going to do that this year, but I may be wrong. I hope I am. It's just so exciting to see what he's up to and uh, watch the videos and all the launches. Yeah, it, it is exciting, but at the same time, you can understand why these things need to be regulated. Oh, absolutely. Because just because you have got billions of pounds to put into something, you can't keep just flinging things up no. into the air, can you, and I mean, seeing what happens. People say, why is Cape Kennedy where it is? Cape Kennedy was built in a swamp in Florida where there was no population around at all. Um, Cocoa Beach was a tired, tired little um, seaside resort that nobody ever went to. It's all the space industry that's brought the people to Florida. But the reason it was placed there was because spaceflight is dangerous and rockets do blow up. And of course, if you launch out to sea, then obviously any debris or any problems usually will come back to sea, not onto land. And it's the same in Texas. This place he's, he's launching from is obviously in a in a place where it's safe, but they've got to make sure when these rockets go so high, they don't come back to Earth and b- bring a problem. So he's not complaining about it. I think he's frustrated about it, mm. but um, let's just wait and see. But sooner rather than later, I suspect. I think so too. Mm. I think the if it's in, inspired by the private sector, there's a there's a, a greater time. Oh yes, imperative, isn't there? There most certainly is. Right now, um, if you were thinking of. Um, Doing a bit of travelling, Virgin might have something. I would love to. I'm, I'm suggesting that Manx Radio send me as your reporter <laughs> on a Virgin um, space, a Virgin Galactic, sorry, Virgin Galactic flight. Um, they launched their flights 
ooh, probably 10, 15 years ago now. And of course, now they are flying. They've flown three times. They're going to start flying more regularly this year, later this year. And so Virgin have just opened up for new bookings. <laughs> it's not quarter of a million pounds anymore. It's £350,000 now for a ticket. And, you know, the thing is, there are there were a lot of people out there for whom £350,000 is pocket money. Well, this is it. I mean, just like flight all those years ago, there's a lovely quote from Elon Musk when he's talked the other day. He was saying about when aviation started, A, it started, and the, the few, the Louis Blériots and the Wright brothers and people like that flew. But then once that started, they then started the entertainment of it. Mm. And they had barnstorming events and everything else. Now, of course, we all fly on airplanes all the time. But flying now is common. And spaceflight is going the same way. It'll probably be another 50 or 100 years. We probably won't see it. But spaceflight is going exactly the same way. And that's what Elon Musk and all these people are doing. They realise the commercial viability of this. And you've got Elon Musk. You've got um, Richard Branson. You've got Jeff Bezos. And loads of others coming up who are also interested. There's plans now for orbital their hotels. There's plans now to build uh, inflatable modules and attach them to um, a space station. Who knows where it'll lead to? And we think about it, 50 years ago we went to the moon for the first time. 100 years ago we started flying for the first time. The acceleration of the technology to do all these things is huge. And I don't think it'll be long before it won't just be the rich, wealthy people who are paying 350000 pounds for a ticket it will come down and probably be similar in real terms to the price of a flight to london or australia or something i think we must uh, you're absolutely right we must take into consideration where we've come in the last hundred years and imagine where the next hundred years yeah. could take us but um but it, it's good it, it's good to be aware of what's happening even if we don't know exactly how the trends are going to work out well, we've once again, we have been beaten by the clock. I haven't even had time to ask you where Starlink is up to, so we'll have to save all of that until the next time. We will indeed. Howard Parkin, thank you very much indeed for joining us once more as we take a look at the Manx sky at night and beyond. Faster my, Howard. Faster my, Judith. The Nation Station